0: All right. So, uh, episode 38 of the apex vaulting podcast. So, so lucky. Um, some of you may or may not have seen my, uh, post on Facebook. I also put on the podcast it was a seven minute post. I was kind of ranting about how people need to use social media more to promote the sport. And one part about promoting the sport. I know we talk about coaching. We talk about competing a lot, you know, maybe starting clubs. The other thing is, Guys, we need events to go to and I'm so happy to have Mike Pescuso on, uh, Vertical Adventures. He has been a great meat promoter uh, the last, how long has it been? This will be our 10th year for the Jersey Jumps Beach Ball. 10 years, guys, of the Jersey Jumps Beach Ball. And I have to say, it's it's crazy, Mike. Someone recently contacted me and talked about growing the sport and developing the sport. Um, one of our listeners, he has a club that he just started in Maryland. And he said, I, let me, I'm going to pull up the text message, I don't want to Mess up his uh, data uh, That he told me Um, He said that Here it is He goes New Jersey has a 50% higher population Than Maryland But has more than double The number of high school vaulters Yet only 40% more Of like let's say 100 meter runners So what he was saying is Literally in New Jersey The sport has grown Pole vault has gotten bigger And I think you know Have the clubs done a great job doing that? Yes. But I think an event like yours, the Jersey Jumps Beach Ball, does so much more to grow the sport. Because... I mean, I can't tell you how many vultures probably only train in the summer because they want to have a good time at the beach ball and try to PR. I mean, I've had always great, great performances there, and kids want to get ready for that. Mm -hmm. And that helps kids coming to my club year-round. And also, for me, I have, you know, I always think long-term, Mike. Mm -hmm. I think it sets them up for the rest of the school year so that they're ready for those indoor and outdoor track seasons. Um, Maybe can can you – the reason I want you on is because – Some people don't like to talk about the business side of the sport, but there is a business side of the sport, you know. What, is, what does it take to run a great event like you do? You know what, what kind of effort you know, how, do you have to put in? What are some of the things that maybe me as an outsider, I go to an event and I'm like, well, this sucks or that sucks. And, and I don't understand what's the work or energy going in to create an event like yours.
1: Well, Bronco, as you know, I own my own business away from track and field. I own yes. a same-day package and freight delivery company. Okay. So that's my... my um, My Monday through Friday, bread and butter, that's how I support my family. So my track business, Vertical Adventures, is just that. It's my passion. While I've made it a business, it's all about passion and and giving back. What I've I've sort of gathered over over 40 years of involvement in track and field. Yeah. So... To me, it, it makes sense that it has to be self-supporting. I yes. can't, yes, I can't operate Vertical Adventures at a loss. It cannot be a vanity project, right? Yeah. It has to be a standalone, common sense business yeah. with, with uh, you know, the red and I'm in the black or I'm in the red. I have to always be in the black. Otherwise, what am I doing? I'm not okay. helping. Just so
0: everybody's clear, because I feel I, I think we have to think about some of the people that are listening. Sure. When we're saying red and black, guys, red means you're working at a loss. Yes. You're losing money. And black meaning you're at least breaking even, maybe making a little maybe. bit of money, exactly. you know. But uh, like, I'm sure you're about to tell us. Any money you make goes back into the event to make it even better for the most part, right? And whether it's paying someone to do a service or providing better quality t-shirts or awards. We were just talking about awards. Yes. I mean, like you said, some people have almost – no, not almost. They have plastic medals that they hand out. And you guys have these nice uh, nice plates that you give out, you know. But go go ahead, continue. Well, to memorialize
1: the event – I think awards are very important. These, these are things that I want people to keep and to display as I do from my days on the pro circuit in Europe. Yeah, I have, I have uh, awards all around my house that I've won Bowls and plates and plaques and and figurines and things like that that have
0: special value. But, yeah, and, but- and just so everybody's clear, Mike w- was a professional high jumper, very very good athlete. He could probably still kick my ass, and he's way <laughs> older
1: than me. But go, go ahead. But but um, so. We want everything to be high quality. If we're trying to grow the sport, we can't do it on the cheap.
0: Yeah. Okay? You
1: want quality t-shirts. I've been to events and I've had my athletes go to events. They get a t-shirt and they wash it twice and it no longer fits them. Um, We don't do that. Everything is top quality. Gildan, pre-shrunk. Yeah. I insist on certain things. I I
0: have kids who have the first beach vault shirts and they still wear them. So that's, yeah. And And they love it. You know what I mean? Like they, I I really, you know, as much as I tell them, stop wearing that vertical adventures t-shirt at practice, (laughs) they still wear them to practice. Kids keep wearing those vertical (laughs) adventures
1: t-shirts. But, um, so I try not to cut corners just to make more money. Right. If we're doing everything top of the line and I make money, awesome. Right. But I don't ever want to be the guy who is, who is skimping on quality. To right. put more money in my pocket. Right. Now, putting money in your pocket is important. Again, yes, it can't be a vanity project. It has to make yeah. sense fiscally. I have a family to support. Right. I can't right. go in the red with my track business. Right. You know, and then yeah. have my regular business support that and steal funds from one to, bank no, to it, pay. No, it, it, long term, it doesn't work. They have to work. stand
0: alone. Right. And, and actually I know I've seen Sean Francis discuss this topic a little bit. Um, and the thing is he rightfully says like, look, People aren't going to keep doing things if they keep losing money. They're eventually going to have to step away. If something actually is going to have longevity, it has to be healthy from a business perspective. Right. And I love
1: that Sean said that because if you know Sean even a little bit, you understand he's a very passionate guy. Yes. He's a very emotional guy. Yeah. And he sees that. Yeah. He's like, hey, guys, what are we doing here? Do you want these people to put on these events? You want to participate? Yeah. They have to. They have to be self-supporting. Right. And, and you know, there's no charity yeah. in a business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. I think sometimes in the track world, and I've, I've spoken to people a lot about this, track is so intertwined with, like, the public school system, mm-hmm. the college system. And, you know, that's so anti-business, that climate, right. that sometimes it seems like a bad word. But here's the thing. In order for people to get great service... They have to pay for it and nobody's making you do it, by the way, you know, like Coca-Cola can't make you buy soda, you know, McDonald's can't make you buy a hamburger, but you know, you have to provide great service. Well, there has to be money exchange and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think, you know, I know from my club perspective and I'm sure you, you can share some stories as well from your meat experiences. I have people that, yes, they pay, they obviously pay to come into my club. I mean, we have overhead, you know, we got to pay rent. We're in a yeah. warehouse space. We have to buy, I just bought insurance. a set of mats. Oh my God, insurance. insurance. Forget about, but you know, it's like, we just bought a new set of mats. Like that money's got to come from somewhere. I don't have <laughs> like, you know, the tooth fairies not putting $20,000 under my pillow. So, you know, you have to make it run as a business. And the thing is, those clients are grateful. Because they know when they see new equipment, they know when you're staying extra hours and you're putting that extra effort in. Right. They know you're you're doing it because you care about the client. You know you care about the athlete. You know, is money involved? Unfortunately, that's how the world works. Or fortunately, I don't know, depending on your way you view it. But that's the way it
1: is. You, you know? know, there are too many people in track and field. Uh, Especially at the high school level, who feel that guys like us who provide a service, a facility, quality equipment, insurance, they actually, I've encountered this, they actually begrudge you to charge money. Yeah and, yeah, and especially it's it's a mindset with many many high school coaches. Yeah, yeah, and and most of them curiously are paid to coach at their high school. Yes, right. Yeah. Uh, very few of them are volunteers. Right, right. and uh, no one's getting rich coaching high school track. Right, but still there's a, there's a monetary expectation for your services. Right, yeah, and yeah, yeah, we're yeah. providing a, 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 an extracurricular service, a building,
0: yeah, equipment,
1: Sheesh. insurance. Your time, you have to pay for your rent where you live. You have to buy right. food. You yeah, have to yeah, pay yeah. car insurance. There's there's things that that I think a lot of people fail to see the big picture. Right. With the beach vault, for example. Right. People think that we're making a fortune with the beach vault. I have to tell you, nah. this is year 10. And uh, I've taken my wife out for a couple of pretty good dinners with the money I've made at the beach vault. But, um, you know, nobody's getting rich off of the beach vault or hosting meets or,
0: you know, or even camps. But let me me even give this perspective, you know, because you're right. I think we're right now at almost the beginning stages. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. I think we're on the cusp of something even growing bigger. Mm -hmm. But, you know... To provide the service people really want, like imagine almost an event like CrossFit Nationals or Mm -hmm. UFC or NFL game. I mean, imagine a lot of track people talk about filling, you know, a 50,000 stadium and having several pits at the same time. People jumping in a huge competition with big prize money. That means there's going to be a lot of money involved in the Mm -hmm. process. That means if you're paying, I mean, could you imagine a pole vaulter getting paid the money LeBron James gets paid? That means there's a coach getting paid some amount Mm -hmm. of money. That means the stadium's making money. Because all this money has to be exchanged to produce a great event like that. And in fact, we want that. If you really want the sport to grow, we want there to be a LeBron James of pole vault. We want there to be uh, a... Oh, my goodness. Now, uh, Mark Cuban, let's say, Mm -hmm. uh, owner of a team or a club or, you know, we want that because there is precedent for that.
1: George Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees, he sponsored the the Clippers track club in the 80s. Right. And George poured a lot of money into it and he attracted a lot of talented athletes and they were a formidable track club. Right. Right. And back then you had Bud Light Track America. Um, there were, I right. mean, just so many, so many clubs that were corporate sponsors. Right. Much like Europe, the European club system yeah. is tried and true, and they have multi-billion-dollar corporations. Bayer Leverkusen in Germany, uh, Bayer Aspirin. Yeah, that's their their, right. their yeah. signature yeah. club. Mm-hmm. My friend Augie Wolf, the Olymp- US Olympic shopper, threw for bayer Leverkusen. Yeah. Those guys made a living competing for their club. Yeah. But that's Europe. We need to bring that
0: here yeah. to America. Well, and so now kinda of going back to your event, you know, what I, I think people don't realize and it'll connect to what we're talking about is, you know, it requires great, great effort to put on your event. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know what something's crazy and you know, we've We've become friends over the years because i've attended for so long and and here's the thing, guys, Mike listens to his clientele i can't tell you how many times i didn't even have to call Mike Mike would call me before or after the event and say, Bronco, how can we make the beach vault better you know that's huge, and that that that's a lot more than others are doing
1: and you were one of the few people who actually responded. I sent out a questionnaire after the mm-hmm. event, you know various years. Yeah. What can we do? Give me your input. We want to make this the best possible event. Right. My ego is not involved. It's it's not. If it's my idea, it's great. And if it's your idea, it's not. No. A good idea belongs to everybody. Right. Absolutely. And you were one of the very few people who took the time and energy and effort to actually respond and say, Mike, here's what would make it better.
0: Yeah. Well, and and look, that again, I want to really exemplify or show people that's what you need to do. That's it's hard work and effort to listen to your clients, but like I said in my social media post, there's sometimes people that they get upset if someone leaves, leaves a comment on their Instagram post or their Facebook post or their Twitter. Here's the thing. If you're getting a single comment from a single person, positive or negative, that means someone's actually listening. Mm-hmm. That means someone actually cares whether you do it right or wrong, right. good or bad. You should be grateful you have a fan. A negative comment is helpful. Yeah. Just as helpful as a positive. Ma- comment. Maybe, maybe more so. More. Yeah. Maybe more. so. Someone says good yeah. job. You don't cha- make a change. Right. Someone says bad job. You might have to think about it and go, okay, what, what can I do exactly. to make that person happy? Yeah. You know? Um, so That, that's the thing. Like there's so much effort that goes into putting on this event. And I'll tell you another thing too. I think there's a lot of other events out there where it's almost like you go out to the event and you end up having to work the event. You know what I mean? Well, that's not really an event then your event is always properly staffed. You never need volunteers to put a crossbar up or anything people are working, you know, it's, it's awesome. And you get to just come in, coach your kids, your kids have a great time, you do a great job, you know, giving out like multiple, like how many, how many comp competitions are at the beach bowl. Cause that's the thing too. This is not just the men's pit and the women's pit and it's done. Right. How, how many actual different, uh, this year we have 11 divisions, 11 divisions year. and guys, every division gets their moment to be like awarded. Hey, here's first, second mm-hmm. and third. I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many times I've had guys or gals in those novice or kind of like JV yeah. type competitions. And Those kids were pumped that they they placed top three in those divisions. You you gave them their shine. And we
1: recognize them and we introduce them and uh, they get their moment. And hopefully that's encouragement for the future. Keep working, keep working. You see the big pit over there? That can be you next year. Yeah. Just keep working. Right. And there's so many young kids who – I'll limit my comments just to the pole vault since that's what we're talking about – There's so many young kids who are falling in love with the sport. I'm not even a pole vaulter. I was a high jumper. Yeah. And I love the sport.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I just think that, that the sky is the limit. As far as it goes. And we're trending towards private coaching anyway. Yeah. Because most high schools don't have a pole vault expert on staff. Right. And you can't expect them to. Right. We right now are in that transition period where gymnastics has been forever and swimming. If you're a gymnastics athlete at your high school, you have a club which is your primary coaching situation. Right. Right. That's where we're going with the pole vault and all the technique events. Yeah. Yeah. Quite frankly. If you're high school, if you're a swimmer at your high school, you also swim at a club. You have pool time at another club.
0: How about even soccer? Soccers. You know, yeah. and and here's the thing. And again, I want people to understand when they listen that everyone can help each other. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, I think soccer is a good example of where things went wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, um, kids were going to private soccer coaches, doing private soccer clubs right. where. The competition was higher. There were more eyeballs on the kids. So it helped in the recruiting process. And instead of the high school coaches trying to, you know, work it out and make things work and do what's best for the kid, they stomped their foot down and said, well, club or high school. How many kids now only play club soccer mm-hmm. and don't even play for their yeah. their high school? I have so. kids in my family. Yeah, we made that choice. Yeah. Well, no, I'll play for my clubs. Anyway. Yeah. And the thing is, for me, I know even as a club coach, mm-hmm. I'm very open. I first of all, I don't care. It's like if a kid contacted me and is like, "Listen, I'd like to come up once a week to you, Bronco, but once a week I want to go to Vertical Adventures mm-hmm. with Mike yeah. or to Brian Munshine at Philly Jumps Club or wherever." I would be like, "Hey." You got to do what you got to do. Let me know what the plan is and we can work it out. You know what I mean? As long as I'm kept in the loop, you know, right. I mean, I, I'm very big on honesty and transparency. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to be hide things from me, but as long as I know the situation, I'm willing to work with the kid. Yeah. Whereas a lot of times this high school club thing, you know, It's some kids don't even tell their coaches that they go to club, you know? Um, So the thing is we can work together and really build this better, bigger. You know what I mean? I I think, look, I think about beach ball at my club. Again, it's different. We go year round, Mike. I know there's a lot of clubs that are very seasonal and I understand that, but we go year round, but there are some kids that probably would not have done as well in their high school uh, seasons. If not for your meat alone. Because at least they did one or two practices in the summer, went to your meet, and that kind of right. kept the ball rolling a little right. bit. And I think people don't understand the value of just time for progression. If mm. you keep jumping all year round, you'll get better. I mean, think about those Maryland numbers that we talked mm-hmm. about. How, how we are more than double Maryland's number, but we're not more than double the population. The reason is because our kids have access To private coaching, Mm -hmm. and they have access to these events like Beach Ball. And this is what's necessary to grow the sport. That's why we have the numbers that we have. I I
1: agree. And New Jersey is unique in that we're one of the top three track states in the nation. Yeah. What are the other two? You got California and Texas. What do they have in common? Giant states, incredible, huge populations, and good weather year round. Right. And then you got little old New Jersey. Tiny New Jersey
0: with marginal weather most yeah. much of the year, if yeah. not most of. The year. I, I I literally feel like our weather is not conducive to like the week right. of week of state sectionals. Right. so you have three yeah. weeks left of the season, three meets, and that's it. And, and that's especially this year, we we had
1: all that rain and. I didn't see my kids blossom until literally the sectionals. Yeah. They were starting and that's good, you want them to do their best at that state at that championship. point.
0: But they probably could have done even better if we exactly, had a little bit better weather. Exactly.
1: So we and the clubs are the only resource where you can practice in inclement weather. Yeah. Because almost every club has an indoor facility. Yeah, right. And we would have canceled this this past spring, if I didn't have an indoor facility for vertical adventures, yeah. we would have canceled probably six of our sessions.
0: Yeah. And yeah. some
1: of the kids who come from greater distances were only there for one or two.
0: Yeah. And theirs could have been canceled if we were stuck outdoors. No, yeah. Look, I think it's such an advantage to have an indoor facility because it allows you that flexibility with weather. Because I know even Mm. when I first started out, I, I started my club when I was coaching at West Milford High School and we were outdoors. I literally remember sitting in my Volkswagen Golf with, like, th- three, three kids waiting for the rain to break. Yeah. And then, you know, they would beg me to skip the warm-up because we waited so long. Right. But <laughs> I'd make no. them warm up anyway. Oh. Uh, but, you know, it's like, yeah, but, like, you can't grow the sport like that. No. I can only fit three kids in my Volkswagen Golf. I can't fit, you know, a hundred kids in my Volkswagen, right, Volkswagen Golf. Right. And so that's the thing. And and here's the thing too. I, I, you know, obviously there's always fear in trying to grow a sport, grow a business, grow as a coach. You're, you're scared to try maybe new things. I'll tell you what. I added a second pit this year, Mike. And I literally, I'm kicking myself. I feel like if I added it two years ago, I'd be two years ahead now. I think we always naturally fear growing, but that's what's needed. If you want more, you have to grow more and you have to work. Like, again, I want to go back to this idea of hard work and effort because you you guys put so much hard work and effort in. Um, You know what it takes to really provide a great event, to provide a great service, and that Vertical Adventures provide a great club, you know. I don't, I don't necessarily think I see that always from everyone. And why don't you talk about your high jump career? Because I know you've told me stuff about your high jump career where I'm like, no wonder you were successful as a professional high jumper. And, right. guys, it's not all about athleticism. No. It's not all about just who jumps the highest. You know, because I think, I, you know, and and actually this week Andy Najat, Katie Najat's brother, he had this great tweet that he put out on Twitter about statistics breaking down his sister season. I was like, wow, that is amazing analysis. Because I think our sport is a lot deeper than who jumped the highest at one meet. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's so much more to be said. There's so much more conversation that we can have. Uh, Why don't you go into your high jump career and tell us about the way that you kind of put in a little extra effort to to give yourself more value as a high jumper.
1: Well, as you know, um, I I competed on the pro circuit for 16 years, which is a long time to go to Europe. Absolutely. It's a very long time. But with all that being said, I was sort of a middle of the rung Ladder got kind of guy. What was your PR again? Seven, five and a quarter.
0: Okay, seven, seven five, five and a quarter. And, a quarter.
1: Um, and I had some accolades. I made four U.S. national teams, competed in three Olympic trials, okay. multiple time All-American. Okay. Um, but still, I was one of those guys that was in the middle of the pack. Yeah. So how do I... Distinguish myself from the top guys How do I get the opportunities That are being offered to a Hollis Conway To a Dwight Stones To a Charles Austin And just for people that are listening What were their
0: PRs You know what I mean So people know Well Dwight
1: Stones Former world record holder My best friend and coach 7'8 all time Has two Olympic bronze medals Hollis Conway, silver, and a bronze, and the current American record holder yeah. with a seven ten and a half and a half PR. Wow. wow so yeah. these are the guys I'm competing against on right. a weekly basis. So how do I, A, get invited to the same meets as them? How do right. I create the same opportunities for myself? Right. So right. what I would do is contact the meet director, and I'm going to give you extra value when you bring in Mike Pascuzo okay. I'm going to come in. The meet Saturday. I'm coming in Thursday. You're going to put together a youth group for me and I'm going to teach a high jump clinic. Okay. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give each one of those kids at the end of the clinic, I'm going to give each one of those kids a free ticket to the meet Saturday. Okay. Well, these are 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids. They can't come to the meet by themselves. So now mom and dad buy a ticket, maybe sister and brother, maybe grandma and grandpa. Right. So for one free ticket and one once-in-a-lifetime clinic opportunity, Right. we might sell four, five, six tickets, and that's packs the house that set me apart for me directors they would then contact
0: me after i did that well and let me add to that because i think that obviously shows too why it was you know maybe a smooth transition for your track camp and your track club mm-hmm. because you already built your brand as mike pescuso the high jump instructor too mm-hmm. and so now even one you have more fans in the stadium plus they're rooting you on because you're like That's the guy who taught me how to high jump this week. So that's awesome, you know? And then now it's like it built your brand for what you now offer for Vertical Adventures. And I I think a lot of track people lose sight of, you know, oh, well, you know, I don't want to waste my time posting on social media or I don't have to engage with fans. And Mm -hmm. no, because you never know what... You could do to add value and make that person really care about you as an athlete, mm-hmm. as, as you as a coach. You, you know, Joe DiMaggio had a great line. I don't know if you know, but they asked Joe about his his streak of, of not missing a game. And they're mm-hmm. like, Joe, why do you always play? Like, why don't you take a day off? And he goes, you never know when it's some fan's first day at the stadium and they came to watch me. Mm-hmm. I owe it to them to play. Yeah. And that that's what you're showing too. Like... That's a lot of extra work. Why do you need to fly out early for the meet? Why do you gotta waste time working with kids? Mm-hmm. You could have just been mentally preparing for the meet, Mike. <laughs> you know? And but you built your brand. Yeah. And just to be clear, did it ever take away from what you did at the meet? No, never. In fact, it enhanced it.
1: It it made me as an athlete more invested yeah. in my not only my performance. My appearance there, yeah, um, it raised my profile, but it also raised the profile of the meat. As I said, we'd sell two, three, four, five tickets for one free ticket, right? So, so the meat directors loved it. It was a little bit thinking outside the box right. before we even knew what that term was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and I just, to me, it just made sense. Yeah, okay, maybe you only want the top six guys in the world in your meat. Yeah. But I'm I'm the number fourteen guy, who's going to come in and teach a
0: clinic and and put butts in the seat. Well, that and, and now you bring up an important point too. Like as an athlete, you have to bring fans to the to the stands. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. there's a reason. Like I almost feel like we were duped last summer when Conor McGregor fought Floyd Mayweather. Right. And I love Conor, love Floyd. I know you were, but you were yeah, way into, yeah, it. yeah. But it's like. You literally thought those two men hated each other. They really sold the fight. And then we watched what we kind of all thought was going to happen. A not boxer, box a boxer. Greatest boxer, maybe. And he lost. And both those guys were pumped. But they filled the stand. They got us invested. You know what I mean? And so you have to find a way to get the fans invested that they want to watch you. And I've even described it like this. A lot of athletes talk about prize money. Right. You know, and I always say, okay, well, imagine if you were like a garage band and you get offered to play at the local bar. Well, if you don't bring people to the bar, if nobody's buying a beer that Mm -hmm. night and it's empty and you're just playing music, you're not going to play at that bar next week. They're not going to invite you back. Mm -hmm. But if you can fill the bar, you'll be back there every week and you can grow your brand. We need to start thinking about growing our brand, growing our sport, because I think there's a lot of us that are quiet, Mike, you know, yeah. and I think initially even, heck, I, I was telling you stories, you know, where, well, I'll tell a story in a second where you made me upset early <laughs> in my coaching <laughs> career, but you know, cause you, you're loud, you speak up, yeah. you speak your mind. And, and so I think a lot of people in the track community are kind of scared to speak their mind and they just don't want anybody to not like them. Again, I said it on that post that I made earlier this week, guys. Even if you don't post on social media, I guarantee somebody hates your guts. It's just its what happens, you know?
1: Well, so, I have a motto. If 50% love you and
0: 50% hate you, you're on to something. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, do you remember the Howard Stern movie? Yes. I remember right. there was a line, I'm maybe butchering it, it's not going to be exactly right, but there was a line in it where the, the ratings come out. And, and the manager's so happy, he's like, yes, we're finally going to get to fire Howard Stern, he's crazy. Right. And he goes, what are the ratings? He goes, uh, the best ever. He goes, what? He goes, well, 35% of the people say they love him and they can't wait to, see, to hear what he ha- says next. Yeah. And he goes, well, what about the other 65%? He goes well. Sixty-five percent say they hate his guts, but they can't wait to hear what he says next. <laughs> exactly. So it's like you—you you want that attention. You know that—that's yes. what gets everybody to sport. Because yeah. I think the yeah. uh, the majority of people who are quiet really, really love this sport. But if we're quiet, nobody learns about it. Mm-hmm. I even tweeted out this week. I go, who is more important to pole vaulting? You know, who is more important about growing the sport? Vitaly Petrov, coach of Sergey Bupka. Or Alan Launder, the writer of the book Beginner to Book mm-hmm. yeah. I would argue Alan Launder. He sold so many books, toured America so many summers, yep. and introduced pole to so many people. And
1: he gave access to himself to like beginner pole vaulters at camps and clinics all yeah. around the country. And Petrov is ensconced in this... Italian training camp for me where I trained during right. my career wow. with the Italian Olympic team yeah. and Petrov is sort of there like the Pope of the pole vault yeah. so yeah.
0: no one has access to him right. but, but the most most elite Right. And, and and it kind of brings up another idea. It's like this idea of too. It's like when you're trying to reach out to so many people, I think, you know, just like someone could be a wine snob. Mm-hmm. I feel like people could be like a technique snob. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you, you look at someone's jump and you compare it to like a vintage wine, you know. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. Nobody understands that. We have to be able to explain things in simple ways and make it seem accessible because sometimes I read what people write about pole vault technique and I got to be honest. I've been coaching this for, for a while now. I've coached over a thousand athletes and I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. I like and, and I, just to be clear, guys, you do not have to be a coach. Uh, uh, Or you do not have to be a physics professor to be a coach. And you know what? I know plenty of athletes that most likely aren't physics majors to be an athlete. You know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You know, there's some simple stuff about this event. Obviously, the deeper you go, the more layers you get to. But if we don't allow people through the first door and enter the first layer they'll never get to those deeper levels. Right. Yeah. And, and I feel like some people are only interested in that conversation by you doing what you did in your career and allowing those kids to do a clinic with you on Thursday, you know, that allowed them to get their first taste, mm-hmm. you know, their taste of high jumping, whether or not they like it. And that's what I think we need to do in, in track and field, you yeah. know? No. And, and I think
1: the pole vault is uniquely uh, positioned to, to, if we're going to bring track and field to the forefront in this country, yeah. as it was in the '70s and early '80s when yeah. I started my career, it was big back then. Yeah. And if we're going to bring it back there, I think pole vault is the tip of the spear. I really mm-hmm. do, yeah. because it's audacious, it's 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 insane. Yeah, and that's yeah. what captures people's attention. That's yeah. what captures eyeballs. And the pole vault uniquely lends itself. To sporttainment Yeah Right it's, it's like the X Games People ask me Beach Vault What's that And I say You know the X Games And they say Yeah I go Think of the X Games Meets track and field On the beach Yeah Oh really Yeah Oh that sounds cool Yeah I'm like, Well you gotta come out And check it yeah. out Right Exactly So I think the pole vault Is unique In that
0: regard yeah. I do think Of course I'm special Well you know th- Think about this story Think about this I, So I bump into this kid At a meet One of the high school meets And he sees me coaching, and so he comes over, asks a couple questions, and he's like, yeah, you know, this is like some real skateboard shit, right? (laughs) This kid goes... This kid goes, yeah, so uh, when my coach tells me to put the poles away, I hide a couple under the bleachers, and then I go jump by myself on Sundays. That kid's gangster. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. But I love that. Yeah. And I'm like, it reminds me of when skateboarders used to get chased out of mall parking lots, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's like, that's the thing. It is. It, but it that's how you get good. Yeah. That passion. That, yes. That, that, that drive to to do something like that. I mean, he could right. get kicked off the team. He right. doesn't care. He wants to vault. He needs to vault. Right. And And look. I think, too, he, here's sometimes a little bit uh, a, a tough thing, a uh, tough topic. People like to talk about safety a lot. Yeah. And listen, I'm number one in safety. I, I'm very big. Like, if you come into my club, you're not going to see people bouncing off the standards. You're not going to be – you know, you're going to see full jumps, people landing in the pit. But people talk safety so much because maybe someone hears that story. Is like, well, that kid shouldn't have done that. That was dangerous. Right. He was jumping yeah. by himself. Um. Who's talking about safety and skateboarding? And that sport is huge. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's one of the sports that took off, you know, and never had ties to school or colleges and whatever. It's always a subculture. Yeah. The subculture is huge. Mm -hmm. We want these kids to be excited about the sport. Mm -hmm. If instead, every time they're like, well, that's not the right way. That's not the right way. First of all, even if we talk about safety – you could coach any technical model and be safe or unsafe. Right. You know, for me, it's like, if you're coaching pole vault, awesome. We're on the same team. Right. You know, yeah. we need to start to be more inclusive. And I think, you know, you've experienced, and we've talked about this, where it's like people start to make teams. And it's like, if we're not on the same team, I don't want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't help the sport. That's not, that's not going anywhere. You,
1: you, have to, you have to spread your knowledge. You have to spread your enthusiasm, your, your energy. When we become insular and we look inward, like with a club that, that ensconces itself, that's not healthy for the sport. Yeah. It's not healthy for any of the kids in that club. Right. And ultimately, that coach is going to fail. Yeah. You have to be open and joyful and share what you love and know about the sport.
0: Well, and how old are you now, Mike? I'm, I'm sorry. fifty-six. So you're 56. I'm 37. And I can't tell you how honored I feel when every once in a while, you know, we, you know, we call each other. And you'll tell me about how you loved a, a post that I made about some technical drill. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, that's a great idea. And it's like, and it humbles me, too. Because I think it's real easy as a coach to be like, you know what, I'm the king of the castle. I know everything and I never have to listen to anybody ever again. But the thing is you always kinda have to have your eyes open, your ears on, and you know, and, and see. There's always new information mm-hmm. and even maybe different angles. You know what I mean? It yeah. might be the same thing, but you see it from a different angle. Like right. we've talked about, for example, you know, it's one thing when you're coaching one athlete and I'm mm-hmm. sure you have situations like you coach Priscilla Frederick. Fredericks, uh, yeah. Frederick or Fredericks? Frederick, 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 yeah. uh, who's been to the Olympics, yeah. great high jumper. I'm sure you have some one-on-one sessions with her mm-hmm. and that's yeah. different from having. 10 kids on the runway. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. So the process has to change. And maybe mm-hmm. some of the drill selection. Like I had uh, Josh Winder on. Right. I don't know if you know the family. Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, dad coaches at North Central College. They've had several national champions. All three brothers were national champs in Division Three. And Josh was talking. He goes, look. You, he mentioned this. He's like, you can argue that maybe the drill I'm showing you with my dad right. is not even the best drill. But watch the process. Mm-hmm. Watch how he goes through 25 kids on the runway like that. Yep. And every kid gets something tangible out of it and moves on and goes on to the next progression.
1: Well, people ask me, oh, you coach the high jump. And the answer is always no. I coach high jumpers.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: I'll have a group of high jumpers at my clinic and there's eight kids there and there's eight different needs. Yeah and I can't look through the same lens at each kid and expect them to conform well, to to my expectation right. of what the perfect jump is. Each kid has strengths. Each kid has weaknesses. Yeah. I need to tailor my coaching to exploit their strengths, minimize or eliminate their weaknesses. Right. So
0: I don't coach the high jump. I coach high jumpers. Well, and, and what's important too, how many, even in the high jump, how many kids do you have? Like, what's your biggest session? Would you say number of kids on the runway? Uh, six. 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 So here's the thing. And what I think people don't appreciate, because maybe some other high jump coach will come into your practice and be like, I don't like the way, you know. You know Pescuzo coaches this mm-hmm. but I would argue this the fact that you're able to individualize the practice mm-hmm. what is your process you know what I mean that's huge and I don't think enough people want to look at that they want to just criticize one thing you know and mm-hmm. it's like they're not looking at the whole picture you know uh you know I, I tell people all the time it's like you know you have 10 kids in the runway I've seen people lately post they're like never use bungees in pole vault only use a crossbar Well, that's great if you have one person, you know, but if you have 10 kids on the runway, what I've found is more important is how many jumps can they get in a single session? How quickly can you get them through the progression? Right. So if I have 10 kids on the runway and I don't use a bungee, I use a crossbar instead, I'm at minimum cutting the jump time in half. Yep. Just by setting the bar. So this is a waste of time. I agree. The other thing I would argue, even from a pole coach's perspective, the bungee, I always felt, was more for me as a coach Mm -hmm. to help me gauge the depth and the hip height that the athlete has. They have to be less conscious of the bar. And more conscious of what they're trying to do. Right. I'm sure right. in high jump you would say the same. It's like if that kid is freaking out about the crossbar and can't think about how they're setting up the jump, right. that's kind of a waste of time now. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So I, I think again, people have to think about the process more. You know, it's easy to say don't use bungees if you coach one person. Right. If you wanna have a club, you know, if if you wanna run a big business, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, but I think bungees are the way to go. You yeah, know? Absolutely.
1: No, and, and I agree. Um, everybody has their their methodology. Everybody has what has worked for them, tried and true, through, through the years and through their experience. Yeah. And like I said, no two coaches, coach, coach alike. I coach high jumpers. Yeah. Every person that steps in my building is different, has yeah. a different set of needs. It's my job to meet those needs, right. not for them to change to me.
0: Right. And well, well, and there are a lot of coaches who coach that way, They coach very, very narrowly. Yeah, and if you can't get done what they want, right. they dismiss you.
1: There's, there's <laughs> a, a, there's a, a, a former elite vaulter right now who coaches, and this guy was such a great athlete. Yeah, yeah. And he had such a specific athleticism that made him a great pole vaulter, mm-hmm. but he coaches that narrow little you know, sphere of influence. And if you can't step inside that and, and plug into yeah. what he's teaching, then next and, and yeah. maybe one in 20 kids can benefit from his, his program.
0: Well, yeah. And look, I mean, I, I think all the time, like I, you know, I had someone recently criticize me about, you know, my system because I have girls that grip 11 feet. But the thing is, like, I think if we're being honest and transparent and look, everybody has their own goals. Like, for example, if you are a really good coach and you're just trying to coach national champs, that's fine. Right. That's fine. But you're not coaching the, the general population then. You're hmm. only taking the best of the best. You're cherry picking. Right. At my club, look, anybody who walks to the door, I'm coaching. And I'm going to try to figure out how to get them over a bar. I mean, I had Gabby Mercurio on my podcast when she first came to the club and she didn't grow any, she was four foot 11, you know, and she could barely move the pole to vertical, you know? Mm -hmm. And I had to actually, for me, it was like, how do I solve that puzzle? You know? And initially, listen, I was like a lot of those coaches. I was like, I don't want to waste my time with this girl. She's never going to be a state champ. Right. But I changed my attitude. I started to see the value, and you know what? One, if I could figure out how to get this little girl over a bar, it's yeah. gonna help my state champ because now I'm gonna find yeah. a little wrinkle that might help someone who's more athletic. She's making you a get, better coach. Yeah, who could get by with a mistake. But now it's like, well, if I eliminate that mistake from the, the better athlete, they're gonna jump higher. Then on top of it, you don't know how it's gonna impact their life. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. Gabby, you know, was on the podcast and she talked about how amazing the experience was for her. And she's very upset and she wanted me to tell you that she's sorry she's not coming to beach vault. She has to go to a wedding. Um she just well, that's graduated kind of college. Yeah, yeah. The you beach know. vault's important. But the yeah. wedding's coming kind of <laughs> yeah. Too. She really I mean literally you know and i hope her boyfriend's not listening she was like i really how mad would he be you think if i didn't go to the wedding with him <laughs> it's okay gabby it's okay i get it it's okay we'll see you next year Yeah, but i mean but this is a girl that's post-collegiate yeah. her pr is eleven four, and mm-hmm. she's pissed she's not going to beach mm-hmm. vault because she's having a blast with vault to this day like, i mean that's the other thing too you know and maybe mike you can speak about this a little bit but it's like I think what's important is we can't just coach these kids while they're in high school, and then once they're in college, we right. we're done. Right. I mean, if we really expect this sport to grow, like I love uh, Carl Parambo of Vault Factory. Mm-hmm. He's got these group of masters vaulters. Yeah. These guys are hysterical. I love watching them jump. The camaraderie, you know, the the group cohesion. They they also. I, listen, unlike with what you see with the professionals, those guys rag on each other a lot. Wow. They they really yep. bust each other's chops, and it's yep. fun
1: fun to watch them. Well, that's my generation. Yeah, we rag a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot. and we that's how it was back in the day. Yeah, and, and what I love uh, to see because I've been coaching a long time, I love to see the kids that I coach are now coaches. Yes, yes. And they're successful coaches too, mm-hmm. coaches of the year, uh, moving, jumping from college to college, always moving up the ladder of coaching. Right. And I have literally a couple of dozen kids that I coached as high schoolers who maybe I had a small role in them continuing to pursue and love right. the sport. That's a great source of pride for me because yeah. a bad coach can ruin your love of the sport.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. absolutely and and that's the thing if we're really trying to talk about like I think a lot of people talk about loving the sport a lot of people talk about growing the sport, but then you have to work on these things you have you can't turn people away just because they're not going to be a state champ you know you want to invite them I mean think about your beach ball you're not your beach ball is not elites only it's anybody who wants to jump yeah. you know and yeah. it, and it's an experience that I mean I'll tell you like Besides Gabby, there's so many vaulters, you know, that I've coached over the years where Mike, they look back at beach vault and it was a big part of their life. It was something that really they're a part of. And, you know, my club would go down and we typically bring anywhere between 20 to 50 kids Mm -hmm. a year and the group goes down and they'll stay in someone's house and, you know, and they have a blast. And it's like, it's memories that they, they have forever. I have, Mm -hmm. I have athletes who haven't jumped in 10 years. They text me. They call me like, oh, my God, I I miss beach ball. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, So I think these events are crucial, and I just want people to know that, one, take the risk. Put on an event. Mm -hmm. It's going to be hard work. It's not going to be easy. If you want to have a valuable event, like, again, I think as much as it's – you're always going to have people complain You're always going to have somebody who has an opinion and that's okay. Sometimes it's valid and you make a good change and you learn. Yeah. But it's like more than not, you're going to have people that have lifelong, long experiences that they'll cherish forever, you know? And you know, it's, it's so important. If this sport is really going to grow, if it's really going to last, we need events like beach ball, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I hope that everybody kind of gets the, the work and the effort that's required, you know what I mean? And things that you have to think mm-hmm. about. I mean, I guess before we end it, right. Yeah. Um, cause I feel like we're getting to that end point, but like, what would you say if someone is inspired, they listen to this podcast and they say, you know what? I want to start an event in my area, you know? What what advice would you say? One, stay at a seaside, right? Stay but, out of seaside. <laughs> <laughs> Don't step on my toes in the seaside, <laughs> high Jersey. No, but what what would you say? What is some advice on starting an event for the first time? You know, maybe they're not going to get the numbers that you get, but what 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 are some keys that you think help people put on a good? I event? I think
1: the biggest hurdle people need to overcome is that is that fear of taking the risk. Yeah. Okay. Um, nothing worthwhile. Ever happens without risk. Yeah. So if if you have the the drive and the passion and the love of the sport, where you say, "Hey, I want to try this," just do it. That's yeah. it. The you know that Nike that yeah, Nike yeah, yeah. slogan, "Just do it." Yeah. It's genius in its simplicity. Right. Okay. Right. Just do it. Start an event. Start a street vault. Okay. Yeah. Start 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 an event and and don't expect to make money. Yeah. Because if you do the event well, the money comes eventually. Right. Okay. We did the beach vault. We didn't even break even the first three years. Wow. The fourth year we broke even. Yeah. And we were thrilled and we went out and we had beers because (laughs) we had money to go out and have beers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so if you do it because you think you're going to make a lot of money... Then, then don't do an event. But if you're doing it for the love of the sport, to help young athletes create an experience, a memorable experience, yeah. something they'll remember for a lifetime, then by all means, do it. And guys like Bronco and I myself will help you. We'll advise yeah. you. Hey, I've I stepped, was
0: about to say that
1: I've stepped on a lot of landmines. Doing my events. Oh, won't do that again. Right. We, guys like us, we can help shorten the learning curve too because right. we've been there and done that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't buy too many t-shirts. Don't, uh, don't skimp on awards because those are the, the keepsakes that people take yeah. away that have meaning and value. Right, right, Um, right. you know, just, just do it for the love of the sport and I guarantee you'll put out a good product. Yeah. If you're in love with it.
0: Yeah. Awesome and uh, Mike, I'm sure we'll do another podcast because there's so many more stories we can talk for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but th- <laughs> this was a great episode. I want to thank you. Uh, what What are some of your social media ways that people can get in touch with you? You guys are on Instagram, right?
1: Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook.
0: Okay, and, and, uh, and it's Vertical Adventures New Jersey. Vertical Adventures New Jersey, and I believe or is it Ver- Vertical Adventures, Adventures. NJ. And Jay, yes. and yeah, there's been a
1: couple permutations over yeah, the years, yeah. and there's even a Vertical Adventures track and field.
0: Okay, so because
1: oh, awesome. I've had several people start these things, yeah, up, yeah, yeah, and then I'm sharing and trying to get yeah. people to, to yeah. Like, so uh, yeah. if you look
0: up Vertical Adventures, you'll find you'll find, and them. if you Google, to yeah, as well. Um, and again, you know, obviously Apex Vaulting, it's the real Apex Vaulting on Instagram, uh, Apex Vaulting on Twitter, um, Facebook. Snapchat and YouTube, um, awesome podcast. You do a
1: great job, Bronco. I want you to Thank know that you. before we we stop. Uh, Thank you. Stop the broadcast. I just think that, uh, which is why I agreed to do this. Yeah, I wouldn't Thank do you. this if I didn't respect
0: everything you do. Thank you. So, I really appreciate awesome. that, Mike. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, you guys will hear us next time.